Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church Podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. It is so good to be with you for worship today, and hello to everybody with us online in many different locations today. Good to be with you as well well today. Uh, Who went on the family retreat this year? It was an awesome experience, and I hope that those of you who did not join us just saw that video, and you're putting it in your family calendar for next year. And speaking of family, I just want to say, wasn't the kids' choir amazing this morning? Um, I had a little senior moment over there in my seat. It's the first time in almost seven years on staff at Redeemer that I didn't have one of my four kids in the kids' choir. So maybe we'll have another one. I don't know. (laughs) Just kidding. Oh, God, no, please. Um, Next week, we celebrate Easter. And we're also going to kick off a new series called Holy Moments, in which we will look at the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, Pentecost, and two pivotal moments that we read about in the book of Acts. So please be sure to join us for that celebration next week. And as you've already heard, we have an 815 Uh, a.m. service. For those of you that are already up, just come on and join us bright and early, and that opens up more room later in the morning. Today is Palm Sunday. It is the day that we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We read in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Here is where the journey from Jerusalem to Calvary began. And Jesus was filled with determination and motivated by love. Not only going to Jerusalem because that's where he was destined to suffer and to die for you and me, but also because it is from Jerusalem that the gospel is destined to spread outward into the rest of the world. The expression here in some of your translations that he set his face to Jerusalem echoes the Old Testament prophets, and it carries with it a tone of judgment. Therefore, Jesus' mission, of course, it was one of love, but it was also one to separate the wheat from the chaff. In this one short verse, we cannot miss the hint of the impending judgment upon Jerusalem. It is good that Jesus was determined because right away in this immediate context that we read about in Luke, we see great resistance. Look with me at chapter 9, verses 52 through 56. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went 
to another village. We're going to look at a couple incidents in this Holy Week narrative today. And and the first is this. In the Samaritan village, we see something that reveals so much more than just the opposition that Jesus faced during his ministry and during Holy Week. I want you to think about this for just a moment. The disciples had just been taught by Jesus. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. This is what the disciples had just been taught. James and John didn't want to shake the dust off of their feet. They wanted to reduce this entire village to dust. Perhaps this further explains why they were known as the sons of thunder. In this honor-shame culture, they were not pleased when their leader was not welcomed into this village. So their idea, after Jesus was not welcomed, their idea was this, Lord, do you prefer that we call down fire from heaven and have this village destroyed? Now it is likely that James and John were attempting to emulate the story of Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 1. Ahaziah, the sixth king of Judah, sent a captain and a squadron of 50 soldiers to confront Elijah and to give Elijah some instructions, some orders. And Elijah says to them, if I'm a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your men. And that captain and his 50 soldiers were incinerated. Bang! So you know what the king did? Because what do we learn from history? That we don't learn from history. So the king sends another captain and 50 more soldiers to give Elijah orders. And Elijah says the same thing and boom. All of them, again, incinerated. It happened again. If I were the second captain and the king came to me and I had known what happened to my buddy and his squadron of men, I'd be like, king, let me just run, pick something up real quick. And I would just leave town. I, I, would, I would offer my resignation before I would go confront Elijah. So this is how James and John wanted to settle things in that village that day. Fire from heaven. Lord, we are on a mission. Nothing can stop us. Just let the fire fall and consume this village. But Jesus rebuked them. Because like we see in other places in Jesus' ministry, what was he doing? He was teaching them a new way. A new way that certainly renounced vindictive violence. So when I look at this passage and when I look at the entire narrative of the Holy Week, I see that the disciples still had so much to learn as they were going on their journey with Jesus. You and I, as his disciples, have so much to learn as well. As we open the text and as we read about what happened in Jesus's ministry and particularly the events of Holy Week, the disciples had this flawed understanding of Jesus's mission and as a result, their own mission. They had thought, We're going to march into town and Jesus is going to overthrow 
the empire. He's going to take his throne. He's going to take control. He's going to rule the world. He's going to defeat our enemies. He would be on his throne. And do you know what happens in a group of disciples after they start talking about Jesus taking a throne? What do you think they do? They separate from Jesus and they start talking about who's going to be second in command. If Jesus is going to, who among us is the greatest? So if you've read the story, you know what happens next. The disciples had an argument. Which among us is the greatest? Think about this argument happening in the presence of Jesus. Jesus had just taught them, if you go into a village and they don't welcome you, just shake the dust off your sandals and go upon your way. And then what do they say? Lord, let's, let's call down fire. And then now they're sitting there arguing in the presence of the greatest. Who is the greatest among us? I'm sitting here thinking this week what that moment must have been like for Jesus. How would Jesus have reacted? So I thought about this picture of this little girl that became an internet sensation over the last few years. And her face is the best picture that I can offer you today of what Jesus may have looked like during that argument. And here it is. (laughs) You're arguing over who is the greatest among you while you're following me? Are you kidding me? The disciples had no idea that Jesus was not seeking authority and victory over the government, but sin and Satan and death. That was the mission that Jesus was on. And this victory could only be accomplished through what? His death. When he set his face to go to Jerusalem, he set his face to die. And he did. It wasn't Judas's betrayal. It wasn't the Sanhedrin's envy or Pilate's cowardice, nor the soldier's spear. Jesus died because he was motivated by love. Remember what he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Let's continue with their journey. Luke 19, 28 through 38. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead Going up to Jerusalem, and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. By the way, this crowd is swelling. It's growing in numbers. We know from Scripture that after the miracle of raising Lazarus, a lot of people started to follow Jesus. 
Either they put their faith in Jesus or they were just intrigued. What is going on here? So this crowd is swelling in size and they're following Jesus. And what did they shout? Verse 38, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. This is the first time Jesus referred to himself as Lord. That's a big deal. Also a big deal is the donkey. This donkey fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy describing the way in which Jesus would enter the city. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. What is offered to God is to be pure. It's to be unblemished. And so we see Jesus choosing here the instrument of a donkey, but also an unused donkey. Never been ridden before, an unbroken animal. To contrast, everyone knew that a conquering general would have entered into the city riding a horse, symbolizing the kingdom's great military might. But again, the Prince of Peace did not come to conquer men. He came to conquer sin. And the throne that he so desired is your heart. That's what this story is all about. Our hearts. So the most famous donkey in history served as a sign of As a side note, I've always been fascinated by a few other characters in this story, and it's the donkey's owners. See, Jesus sends two disciples. They're unnamed. We don't know which two were sent into the village, but he sends these two disciples, and he says, when you go around a corner, you're going to see a colt, and it's going to be tied up. How did Jesus know there would be one there? Well, because he's Jesus. I mean, the more I read the Bible, the more humor I see present. Is it just me? Or do y'all take all of it just so strict and serious? These two disciples come around the corner and there it was. Can you imagine that moment where they looked at each other and like... (laughs) He said it would be there. And there it is. And then they approach it. And they start to untie it. Y'all got to go with me in the story. Do you know why the donkey was tied up? Because it had an owner. So they're untying it. And then it says that the owners come up and say, why are you untying it? It's a fair question, right? Because it's theirs. <laughs> and, and, and this is a big deal, okay? A donkey, I did, some, I did some very strange research this week. And I did not learn this in seminary. I learned this for you. 
A donkey in the first century was worth 125 denarii. One denarii was one day's wage. This is a donkey worth four months' pay. Don't you think you would inquire why you're untying the donkey? So you remember the Lord's advice? If somebody asks you, why are you... <laughs> like, of course, somebody is going to ask you, why are you untying this donkey? And if they do, tell them the Lord needs it. Again, like, I think the owners would have been like, that's okay. Tell the Lord to come pay for it. <laughs> so... Uh, picture tomorrow going to a car lot, walking into the manager's office, grabbing a set of keys and going out, finding the car, getting in the car and starting it. And then the manager runs out and says, excuse me, why are you taking this car? And you're like, the Lord needs it. It just doesn't work anymore. This kind of stuff would land you in a a jail cell. I'm telling you, when you read your Bible, you need to look for the humor. You need to think about what's happening behind the picture that you're reading. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us if the donkey was returned. But with great conviction, I I think the donkey was returned. Because if it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't be sinless. He would have one documented sin, and that's theft. (laughs) He would have stolen a donkey. Last thing about the donkey. It had never been ridden. So I offer this very safe historical analysis for you today. It must have had that new donkey smell. Their journey continued. As I read now for you about the events of Holy Week, I invite you to listen. And as you do, know that all of these events unfolded because of how much Jesus loves you. And just how far he had to go to redeem us from our sin and our depravity. These are the events of Holy Week. On Palm Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem. And the crowds of disciples are cheering and praising God. They waved their palm branches in the air and shouted, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is an expression of adoration and praise. It means save us. Shouting Hosanna. On Monday, Jesus clears the temple. The temple courts were full of money changers. And as he turns over their table, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. On Tuesday, Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. Back at the temple, religious leaders were increasingly angry at Jesus as he had established himself as one who had 
religious authority. So they attempt to ambush him and arrest him, but Jesus avoided their traps. If you would like to understand the tension that existed in the air at that time, just listen to this harsh judgment that Jesus pronounced upon religious leaders that day. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes. How will you escape from being condemned to hell? Matthew 23. At the Mount of Olives, Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse, a prophecy about the end of the age, his second coming, and the final judgment. Also, on Tuesday, Judas negotiated with the Sanhedrin, the court of ancient Israel, to betray Jesus. On Wednesday, we don't know what Jesus did. The Bible doesn't explain it for us. But because he was staying in Bethany, it is likely that he was spending time with Lazarus, with Mary, with Martha, with his mom. Perhaps he was resting because of the exhaustion of the previous few days, his journey into Jerusalem. Arresting because he knew what was to come. On Thursday, Holy Week takes a somber turn. That evening in the upper room, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And they shared in the Passover feast with one another. He said to his disciples there, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke 22. That night he established and gave instructions on the Lord's Supper. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed in agony. He was betrayed. He was arrested. The council started to make their case against him. On Friday, Christ was sentenced to death by crucifixion. One of the most horrific and disgraceful methods of capital punishment. He was spit on, mocked, tormented, beaten, and a crown of thorns was pressed into his head. And he carried his own cross to Calvary. Where nails would pierce his wrists 
and his feet. And he spoke these words that day. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. To the criminal next to him, he said, today, you will be with me. Paradise. To his mother and disciple John, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And around the ninth hour, three o'clock, Jesus breathed his last breath and died. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. That, my friends, is Holy Week. That is where we remain and linger in the coming few days. But the story does not stop there. In the words of Bob Goff, darkness fell, his friends scattered, and hope seemed to be lost. But heaven just started counting to three. So would you shout with your voice, Hosanna, if you know what happens next in the story. Just shout Hosanna if you know. And that is what we celebrate next weekend. Come on, stand up and let's worship together. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.